Welcome to Policed the Beat with me, Dr. Vicky Conway. In this new side series to Policed in Ireland, which is just going to be for Patreon subscribers, we'll be looking at news and issues relating to policing, exploring them in greater detail, bringing you expert perspectives, as well as reflecting ultimately on what this means for those who are policed. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Michael Mulqueen, Professor of Policing and National Security at the University of Central Lancashire. Michael is also on the National Council for ASCO, which is the Association for Special Constabularies. Michael, originally from Ireland, is also a serving superintendent in Cheshire Constabulary on a voluntary basis. He's joined me to discuss the issue of police mental health. Thank you so much, Michael. It's a pleasure, Vicky. Last week, the commissioner published some of the details from a study on police mental health in Ireland. Now, I don't think the full report has been published, but what we've been told includes some very important findings that we're going to discuss today. So this study was conducted with over 5,000 members, which is about a third of the organisation, with Gardaí and Garda staff in October, November of last year. So it's pre-COVID and it was done by an independent firm for on Garda Síochána. And... If we start, I think one of the striking figures is that it says 63% of Gardaí experience trauma at work. Is that what you'd expect, Michael? It's a similar picture to what we would see in the UK. Um, in 2019, Police Care, which is a uh, support organisation for officers, uh, found in survey data, one in five police officers in the UK were suffering from PTSD, uh, which is very significant. Uh, Oscar Kilo, which is the National Police Welfare Service, um, has come in with stats of around um, 67% of officers and 50% of staff reporting feeling symptoms of, of PTSD. So at the higher end of, of unwellness, if you like. And it's across the organisation. I suspect it would be with the Garda as well. Um, so in the area I'm probably um, most uh, recent to and sort of the senior management ranks of superintendent, chief superintendent, the Police Superintendent Association here in the UK um, has survey data from 2019 showing that 63% of members are feeling stress, low mood, anxiety um, over the last 12 months. And you know, 90%, a whopping 90% um, of respondents are attributing that uh, to their workplace. So policing is, is, is proving punishing. There's two things there, isn't there, right? So if we actually separate out the trauma from the low mood stuff, I mean, the trauma is a very particular thing, which is going to be high in policing because whether that's attending the scene of a car crash, you know, pulling a body out of a river after a suicide, um, you know, walking into domestic violence encounters, being seriously assaulted and injured yourself. Like there's so much to the job that can cause. And like, I think we use that word, it's important to use that word very particularly, trauma that can have very lasting consequences. And as you say, 20% having PTSD in the UK, that's massive. It is, yeah, it is. There's, there's two, in my view, um, and, and clearly, you know, I, I don't comment it from a medical perspective, just to, to, to place a very careful writer out there. But certainly in, in, in my professional experience and maybe academic analysis as well, I, I, I see two key drivers. There are internal drivers and there are external drivers um, for, for this level of, of unwellness. The externals are um, pretty much along the lines of what you have, have um, said. So yes, arriving at scenes of death or 
serious injury, you know, uh, murders, death by suicide, road, uh, road incidents, uh, domestic violence, all of that. But particularly in frontline policing, the brain and body is always switched on for fast time. So whether you're about to, you know, be called for a blue light run, whether you're on call um, as, you know, public uh, public order, firearms commander or, or, or so on, um, negotiator indeed, um, you know, there's any moment where you could be immediately deployed and you're in that fight or flight. So the, I suppose externally then, you know, I should add say that added to that as well, when you arrive at scene, there's that complexity, which may, maybe members of the public being policed can't always see, but discussions like this help to enunciate. So, you know, your officer landing at scene may be trying to, you know, um, uh, talk down um, a, a tense situation, maybe preserving life, depending on the situation, um, you know, but at the same time is trying to, in their minds, process complex law, um, everything from European Convention on Human Rights down to common law arrest. It's fairly complicated stuff just there in the moment when somebody's pushing back at you. Um, they're trying to draw on their own personal safety training, the liability which they feel around that, the procedural stuff internally like crime recording um, and, and um, you know, also use of force. So when, when they arrive on the scene, there is the kind of the IBM processor moment when you're trying to take on so much, balancing so many competing interests, and you've got a very distressed member of the or members of the public looking to you. Now, if that's your daily lot, day in, day out at the front line, you know, with growing complexity, um, it, it is a stressful mix. Allied to that, of course, there is a blurring of the boundaries of what officers police. Uh, and this is a, a broader policy debate. Now, I've I've watched with great admiration what I've seen in relation to members of the Garda going out and supporting communities during COVID. Um, it's been excellent stuff. I just from a neighbourhood policing point of view, the, the members of the public as recipients of that, knowing that 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 is there for them, just brings joy to the heart. I think it's wonderful. But at a broader level, there is a question around. How much expertise do we wish our um, deploying police officer to bring to bear? You know, what is it do we want them to be doing? Um, you know, it, the old, I suppose the short, it's, it's not always fair, but the shortcut here is do we want social workers? Do we want police officers? Do we want a mix of all? Um, you know, and, and, and I suppose with a strong vocational element, people seeking to help, they will take on an awful lot, but it does make it, both tremendously satisfying, hugely rewarding, but also quite wearing in terms of one's mental and physical health. Um, yeah, because it's a big thing there that if, and like in Ireland, social workers are predominantly only available Monday to Friday, nine to five. So at the weekend, guards do perform social work roles. They perform all kinds of additional roles because they're the only service available 24-7. And in addition to that being potentially rewarding, but also wearing, Asking people to do a job they're not trained for is really problematic for those being policed, but also for the individual, because if afterwards you keep rerunning, should I have done that? Like, I'm not trained. Like, how do I know I did the right thing? And that kind of doubt um, must be very taxing on an individual. It is. And to be honest, um, whilst the training is, the training gets better all the time. 
Um, um, you know, I don't wish to generalize and, and I wouldn't like to, I suppose, overemphasize either, you know, people arriving untrained because there's, there's always a level of training and in training inputs which can be provided. But even at the, at, 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 at the sort of the real specialist end of the training, I mean, I mentioned firearms before, I mentioned public order before, but in any lawful engagement, you know, it's not a thing, certainly where officers have been in my command, go home and report back to me, oh, I was able to just switch off after the shift. Well, the chances are they were probably working longer than they should have been if it was a, a particularly high tempo incident. But there isn't such a thing as an auto, for most officers that I've I've encountered or I've commanded of an automatic switch off. Um, yeah. They carry it with them, they process it, and it takes time. And of course, it builds up in ways which we don't recognize and shapes our personalities in, in, in ways that we probably don't fully understand. And that links back to that point you were making earlier about police having to be hyper vigilant. And that's, you know, from a mental health perspective, that's not a good place to be for long periods of time. So, you know, there's switching off from that as well. I mean, yeah. if we pull back to some of the data, because we also have some work that the Irish Times reported last May, and they showed, for instance, that in 2018, 2019, 400 Gardaí referred for psychiatric or psychological assessment that a total of 16,000 days have been lost in the last three years due to mental illness. And they also suggested that the suicide levels among the guards were higher than the national population, although those numbers are very small anyway. So I think, it, you know, it, we need to be careful about that. And this kind of chimes with what you're saying about 90% expressing, you know, stress, low mood, and those kind of worrying early signs of mental health issues, doesn't it? I'll get back to some of the internal drivers for a second, um, and and then maybe we comment on that data uh, because this it's it marries up to a degree with what we know of the UK case. Some the UK cases is, is pretty tricky because we've got forty three what we call home office uh, police services, and then non home office police services like British Transport Police, Civil Nuclear. Uh, constabulary, Ministry of Defence, Police, and so on. So it's a real tapestry of police services in the UK, which can make data interpretation a bit tricky. Um, but I'll come back to it in a second. I think it's probably also, though, for the listeners, worth bringing in to the conversation some of the internal drivers of stress um, and getting to know a policing organisation and what it means to be in a policing organisation, I think, is tremendously beneficial for the public to understand. Um, you know, for, for obviously, over the last number of years, uh, speaking from a UK perspective, where we've seen a lot of cutbacks in policing, uh, mass austerity, really, in policing, workload for uh, workload on officers um, has, has been huge. The escalation of workload has been enormous. Uh, what we call their, their cues um, on the niche crime recording system, if they're using niche pulse as the Irish equivalent. But there's also, I suppose, germane to all police forces, um, questions of hierarchy. Um, we are command and control. Um, and, you know, you'd be really surprised, Vicky, when when engaging with, and I'm sure it's the same members of the guards, we almost encourage our officers to identify their self-worth by what they're wearing on their shoulders, right? Whether it's stripes or in the UK case, pips, or, you know, whether they're a sergeant, an inspector, or whatever, this becomes part of one's identity and one's self-worth. I'm not saying all the time, but I've encountered it enough to know in my own professional service and academic um, uh, learning, I suppose, to, to know to know it's a problem. I mean, officers in tears because they've the promotion board has, hasn't worked out and it's really hit them deep. Uh, what are the, 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 the surrounds for them? Um, I think also as we as we go up in rank as well, 
Um, you know, you're rewarded in rank, maybe it's for your investigative responsibilities, your problem solving problem, um, um, uh, capabilities in the community and so on. But not always is it for your management now. And, and so there is a challenge where one enters into senior management roles and being able to undertake effectively that most complex of tasks, which is effectively managing your most precious resource, your people. And candidly, um, you know, we as senior leaders in policing can be pretty shoddy at that sometimes. And that adds to the stress. So where you've got your people looking over their shoulders, you know, because the boss ain't happy or just the boss has been unreasonable because the boss doesn't really understand the complexities of the business problem. That's 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 it's. It's it adds to the mix. Now I, I'm I'm I know it happens in all sectors. It happens in academia. It happens in industry. I know that, but we do promote people on the basis of their operational competency, and not necessarily their 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 managerial skill set. Um, but I'd add into that, like if you take the Irish context, you know, f- from when the crash happened, the training college closed for ten years. Yeah. There was absolutely no CPD in the organization for 10 years, apart from where they may have got authorization to do some external training. So like there has been a real dearth in that training and there's a lot of catch up being played now and there's really excellent training being brought in, you know, and I know of some of it, particularly around domestic violence or guarded interviewing. But it, you know, there are a chunk that will actually have been demoralized because there was a sense of, I wasn't even valued enough to be trained. Sure. Um, and, and that has its consequences too. I've, you've raised the, 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 the Garda College. In my, my academic role, I'm spending a lot of time researching effective back office management in police organisations, how well we manage. And, you know, it's on the public record that, you know, things went seriously awry in terms of the management of, of the Garda College. It, it's not alone in terms of being an, a business enterprise in policing, either in Ireland or the UK, that has underperformed uh, in, in, in ways that the public would not expect. But standing back from that does, you know, beg questions around the quality and calibre of individual managers, but also the culture of management and leadership in organisations leading to effective business practice. Because if you're working there on the front line and your business isn't working effectively and it isn't being managed well, that is an additional source of stress. It mightn't be an, uh, an easy to see causation between, you know, that screw up in accounts made a real made for a really stressful week for me. But you know what? If your salary has been delayed or if there is some kind of an underperforming or under-recognized matrix so that you're deployed in the wrong way or you're getting suboptimal equipment because the procurement contract has gone wrong, this kind of stuff does matter. It's all part of the cultural mix of the organization, which we, um, we, we I, I think we're a little bit reluctant to admit. that There is a, a courageous conversation to be had between the state of our organizations as drivers for the need of well-being um, in, 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 in policing. You know, do we, would we, do the emphasis, the wonderful emphasis that is there now on well-being should be there, but we cannot divorce it from the fact that our organizations are not as healthy, uh, both organizationally and, 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 and mentally and physically, right, as they ought to be. Better managed organizations are less stressful organizations. So, and there is like, and you take your ordinary organization for which that is true, then you throw in 
that potential for danger and trauma that exists in policing. Then you layer in the police culture, which is, and this is a well-established fact, very macho an organization, very disinclined to seek help. And we saw this in the study last week, that they're still considered to be a shame around accessing supports, and that some actually thought it would impact on their career progression in Ongarda Siakona. Yeah. That's a really toxic mix, isn't it? Not alone to to Ungarda Shiakana, um, you know, because that that is I can I can say quite honestly that that is uh, you know it has been commonplace over here in the UK as well. Mm. The Garda and members of the Garda, good members of the Garda, are not outliers in that respect, and they're not weak or they're not you know they're not to be criticised for thinking like that. Uh, that's a very common cultural signifier in policing, right? Um, but you know, part of that circling of the wagons is a suspicion. Of, of, of outsiders and outside talent and all of the things which make your organization better. So, you know, for example, you know, uh, when it comes to the resource that is highly skilled volunteers, you know, are we really making use, be it in, you know, the, the Garda Reserve or the, the special constabulary structure over here in the UK with the astonishing skill set of volunteers who wish to come in and serve? Because that can really help your organization and make it a better place. It can refresh it. And if your organization is refreshed and feeling better, you know what? So are you. And we've had schemes over here as well, like direct entry, which had a very mixed success and which was greeted with tremendous resistance, not necessarily by the front line, in my experience, but very often at the top level. Mm. So all of this, you know, you have to see it, I think, as a fabric, something that is 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 joined up. Uh, and, and, and I suppose uh, it's, it's, it's well-being is not something which can be seen boxed off as something on its own. Now, I'm a tremendous fan of initiatives like Oscar Kilo, the, the National Wellbeing Service here, which I know uh, Angarda Shirkana has now uh, joined a formal relationship with. And I, I'm happy to talk about that if that helps the listeners. But there is a, a I suppose, consideration uh, in, in, into how we as organisations perform. In the same way, to be honest with you, Vicky, you know, putting on, 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 on a policing hat for a moment, that members of the public, I suppose my, my, my heartfelt appeal is just members of the public understand that the police officers with whom they're engaging do have a very difficult job. From, my, from where I'm coming from, I see cases, now in the UK I'm talking about, where officers are deliberately provoked, unquestionably, the evidence is beyond any reasonable threshold. Into, into action which endangers their careers, but also endangers their mental health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that weakens your democracy, you know, because you're putting your police officers in a terrible place and it's not where you want them to be. All of this, Vicky, is, that's one of my clearest messages, I hope, all of this is joined up. Um, well, well-being is an enormously important agenda, but in order to see it uh, and, and to fix it and to address it, and have it where it should be, we need to come at it from multiple perspectives. And I think, you know, this is a slightly different um, side of this podcast, but for me, the really important, not like the well, the well-being of all our police is essential. It's really important. But we also need to see the consequences for those who are being policed if we have a police service with such high levels of um, poor well-being and poor mental health. And, yeah. and it can have direct consequences, can't it, Michael? 
It can, of course. Uh, now, I suppose it's important to give a reassuring message to members of the public that, you know, there are good um, structures in place to support, uh, identify and support people who are in difficulties. So, you know, if you call 999 or you're looking for help, rest assured, you know, that you'll, you'll, get, you'll get somebody who's professional, who's competent and who'll be there for you. Um, but, you know, there's, we are talking openly about what is nevertheless a, a significant and a, and a serious problem. I think it's helpful for, for for folks and communities to to think of it as follows. This was explained to me once by by a colleague in North Yorkshire Police who's doing some really good work around the, the biological as well uh, link to mental uh, mental health and mental well being. That if you know you know that whole thing of fight or flight. You know you're all you're it's it's in those when the when the body reacts to moments of stress. But if you can imagine somebody just getting stuck in fight or flight, that's what's happening. That's what's happening, and that's what 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 we're dealing with now. Where where officers are at risk of being stuck in fight or flight, spilling into you know um, PTSD or just mental unwellness, that of course places them at risk and places members of the public at risk of uh, receiving or delivering. Um, to put it politely, a suboptimal policing service. Mm. You know, I'm interested in excellence in policing service delivery. Yeah. But if the folks at the front line simply aren't well enough uh, to do that, then that clearly is a problem. Excellence in policing service delivery is, a, is an underpinning for democracy. It's an underpinning for justice. It's an underpinning for community uh, well-being. So where that begins to unravel because individual officers are genuinely in a bad way, it, 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 it has effects which resonate and amplify beyond the consequences to the individual officer and their families, you see? So I'm not, I suppose, uh, saying that police officers are not capable of, of, of engaging in and, and tackling robust things. We are, you know, we're out there, every, or they are, we are, whatever, we're out there every single day. Um, but at the same time, you know, the stats... Police officers are 12 times more likely to be assaulted than any other um, uh, organisational group. Now, think again. That's the, not the case in Ireland, where assaults on nurses are just as high. Thank you. Yes, yeah, thank you say. for clarifying that. That's you're yeah. absolutely an important qualifier. It's UK data. Yeah. Nevertheless, be it for nurses or be it for, 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 for guards or police officers here, let's embrace that and say that the, it, it stands to reason that folks who are subjected to that kind of unacceptable behaviour are also themselves at, at risk of terrible mental health consequences as, as a result of it. You know, look at the PTSD stuff that I, I just mentioned earlier on. So when we engage poorly with the police service, uh, and I'm not, by the way, trying to, to move away from police accountability, which is hugely important. We're all up for it. We all want it, as thorough as it can be. As thorough as it can be, but when um, you know there is a, an, an attempt to a deliberate intent to provoke, to assault, to injure, to harm, um, that has an effect not just in the police officer. You're harming your community as a whole. Yeah, and I think the thing about this is, and and policing is interesting this way because the front line have. Um, vast decision-making moments. Um, you know, every every scene they respond to, every encounter they have, they have to make decisions. Um, and if somebody is suffering from 
well, PTSD in particular or, or, or other mental health illnesses, <laughs> the very point of these is that they affect your thinking processes. Um, perhaps you're, you know, and I say affect, not undermine, but they change them. Um, and so these are all things that have to be considered. And we need to ensure, um, I suppose, as you're saying, um, that the police at the front line are getting all of the supports and help from their organization that they need to be in the best place to do the best job that they can, um, which is what we all want ultimately. Two quick points that I could make. One, um, very quick, very, very quick. Um, Firstly, uh, I'll I'll actually spill it down into one. Um, We're interested in a more efficient and more effective police service for our communities, be it in Ireland, be it anywhere else. Where we have a well uh, police service, you know, where people are in a good place, that's where you get the benefits of innovation, of operational business efficiency. Um, Your absenteeism rates are low. It's just a better service can be provided. So this is not a this is not a soft agenda. This actually spills directly into police improvement, into into hard business. But uh, most important and central to it all, it's about keeping people safe and well. I'll resist the temptation to go off on a tangent to say why I disagree with the use of the word efficiency there. But thank you very much for joining me, Michael. Um, thank you to listening for listening to Police to the Beat. This isn't going to be following a strict a strict schedule, but we'll record short pieces like this whenever something comes up. If you're listening, you already support us, so thank you. But please do spread the word. Encourage others to engage with this work by subscribing at patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. Thank you.